Good morning. Welcome to worship. We're glad you're here today. You know, this is a happy day. Not, not necessarily because things always go our way, is it? You know, the world doesn't always revolve the way we want it to revolve. And, uh, but it's a happy day because Jesus Christ is on the throne. He is risen, risen indeed, and he is alive. And that's why we're here today, to celebrate him. And uh, so uh, you better uh, stand up, pull up your bootstraps, because this song's going to get you moving. Here we go. Happy day.
Good morning. It's good to see you today. We, this is a, a joy to share in baptism this morning. Romans 6 tells us that when you believe in Jesus, you're joined with him. When you become a Christian, you're joined with him in his death, burial, and resurrection. And baptism acts that out. And we are glad to have today Jessica Laughlin coming to be baptized. Uh, Jessica and her husband Paul uh, came to our church the first Sunday in the new year and said, we realize we need to make a new start, get in the new year to make a new start in church. And she had had connections with our church, have a, have a child end up our first steps Christian preschool and come to Mops. Uh, but uh, that first Sunday in the new year in the parlor, I had the privilege of leading her in a prayer to accept Jesus as her Savior. And today she comes to confess Christ as Lord of her life. And so we're so happy to share this time with her. She has family and friends here. Uh, if your family or friends, would you stand uh, to get uh, right for a moment in her honor. We're so glad that you could be here in this great occasion. Thank you for coming. You may be seated. And she has other family, I believe uh, parents, parents in Arizona who are going to be watching this on our website later. And we are so glad that you can join in this special time virtually. Jessica, in front of your family, friends, and your church family, would you confess Jesus is Lord? Jesus is my Lord. On your confession of faith in Christ, I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, good morning. Welcome to First Baptist Church. We are so glad that you are here this morning. And Todd Green, I am glad that you are back. So, yeah, we can celebrate that. So, yeah, I know it's your first week back. You kind of ease in. I don't want to see any more of these fist bumps or jumping around or anything like that. You take it easy from here on out, okay? All right. He's going to probably punch me later for that. But I'm glad you're here, too. And if you're a guest with us, we're especially glad that you're here. And the one thing we'd ask, if you're willing, would you fill out the guest registration card that's located there in the pew rack? Uh, there's a spot for a prayer request there. We'd love to pray for you. And then after our service, if you just walk over to the Welcome Center, it's on your left, just down the hall. Our pastor will be there. You can hand that card to him. He's got a small gift for you. This is just a way that you can meet Dr. Cox. He can meet you and your family, and uh, you can make a connection there. We're going to continue to worship, but before we do, let's take a moment to pray and to ask God to meet with us as we worship him together. Father, you are good. And God, I just thank you for all your blessings. Thank you for the way that you take care of us. And uh, just as Todd said, you know, every day is happy in you. It may not be what we want, uh, but we know that you are good. So Father, today we want to celebrate your goodness. And we want to thank you together as a church family. We ask that you meet with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand with us and let's sing together? Johnny's going to lead this one. I can see waters raging at my feet. I can feel the breath of those surrounding me. Can hear the sound of nations rising up. We will not be overtaken, we will not be overcome. I can walk down this dark and painful. 
painful road I can face Every fear of the unknown I can hear All God's children singing out We will not be overtaken We will not be overcome The same power that rose Jesus from the grave The same power that commands the dead to wake Lives in us Lives in us The same because of your grace that our chains are gone. We praise you for that. Let's sing about that. What an amazing God we have.
Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Was grace that, that taught, taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear, the hour I first believed. Amen. My chains are gone, I've been set free, my God, my Savior has ransomed me, and my cup flood is mercy reigns, unending love,
Jesus' name. Amen. Lord, we come before you this morning, Lord, just acknowledging you, you as God and we are not. And it's without your grace, we'd be completely lost. You are forever ours, Lord. You are our God, and we are your people. Lord, I pray for Dr. Cox right now as he comes. I pray you'll fill his lips with your words. You'll pierce our hearts with your message. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Good to see you today. Glad to have those of you watching uh, on Facebook Live with us or on our website. Every week I talk to somebody who says, I just can't come to church yet, but I'm so grateful for our online services. So thank you to those who make them available. I'm sharing a series of sermons in January called Change. And we're looking at some ways that we need to change our lives. We spent three weeks in Paul's letter to the Romans about how to change unwanted behaviors. And today we want to look at Paul's letter to the Ephesians chapter 4 about how to change relationships, how to change the interaction in your relationships. And so I'm going to share with you five practical things, five commands that Paul gives us one after another that I think can improve any relationship. And I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will use these in some of your relationships. So let me share with you some of the relationships I'm talking about. I think these five things will help improve a marriage relationship. I pray for marriages. Marriages are under assault by the devil. And, uh, and I want to champion marriages. Maybe you're having some trouble. This is no magic pill. But these five things from God's word can help improve your marriage. Maybe it's your relationship with your parents or your kids. Kids, how do you relate to your parents? These five things will help you relate. Parents, how do you relate to your kids? In your relationships at work, in your relationships with in-laws, you got any in-law problems? Got any extended family problems? These five things help those relationships. Maybe it's in a relationship uh, to your friends or a relationship at church or maybe it's a relationship to your enemies. We've just been through a contentious election cycle, and people on both sides of issues and these five things help you relate to people who are different from you. So let's look in Ephesians chapter 4. Now before we get to these five, we've got to lay the foundation. In verses 17 through 24 of Ephesians 4, Paul gives the foundation for these. And he says that the first thing he's saying is that we as Christians are going to have to be different. We're different than our culture. It begins in chapter 17, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. So when you become a Christian, you've got to be willing to be a little bit countercultural, go a little bit up against the way everybody else is interacting. We've got to be different. And the difference begins, he says, in our thinking. We talked in Romans about how important your mind was, how important your thinking is. Well, we must no longer live as Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They're darkened in their understanding, separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. That's an unbeliever. That's where we all were. 
Verse 18, having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they're full of greed. But then he says in verse 20, that, however, is not the way of life you learned. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him with accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, Jesus changes you. You can change. There is power for you to change, and it comes through Jesus Christ. It says in verse 22, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. So we talked about the old nature and the new nature throughout Romans, didn't we? You were born with an old sinful nature. Now he's calling it an old self. And he said you were taught to put it off. So like if you take off a coat, you've got to take that off. You know, you're never going to get rid of it, we learned. Old nature is going to be with you forever, but you've got to strip it away. To, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds. New attitude in your mind. And to put on the new self, so you put off the old and you put on the new. Are you putting off the old and putting on the new? That's what we're going to see in this passage. Created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So that's the foundation for these five practical things that we're going to look at that you can do to change your relationship. You've got to have a different attitude of mind, continually take off that old nature and put on that new nature. In other words, what we're saying is, if you try to do these five things without Jesus, it's not going to work. You need Jesus. The foundation is that spiritual change that comes in a relationship to him, and it's through Jesus. So if you just try these tactics, I'm going to tell you, without the foundation of verses 17 through 24, it won't work. But if in a relationship to Jesus Christ, you do these things, you can change the interaction of relationship. So let's look at them. Now, in each one of these five, Paul's going to tell us a negative command, followed by a positive command, followed by the reason for the command. You got the pattern? Don't do this. Instead, do this. Here's why. You ready? Here we go. Number one, <clears throat> put off falsehood. Instead, speak the truth. That's number one. Put off falsehood. Instead, speak the truth. Look at verse 25. Therefore, each one of you must put off. Remember the foundation about putting off the old nature? Here's par part of what you've got to strip off now. Maybe you used to lie to people. You can't live like that in your relationships anymore. Put off falsehood <clears throat> and speak truthfully to your neighbor. Honesty's got to be a foundation for successful relationships. Are you lying to your spouse? I know couples that regularly lie to one another. Not a good foundation. Are you lying? Are you lying to your parents? Are you lying to your boss? The first thing, practical thing you can do to change the interaction of relationships is to put off falsehood and speak the truth. Be honest. Now, Christians can withhold truth if your wife, you know, you don't have to say to your wife, that's the ugliest outfit you've ever had. You can withhold truth. That's tact. That's discretion. You don't, tell, you don't have to tell your kids everything. You can withhold truth, but don't build a relationship based on falsehood. That's the first thing he says. Why? Here's the reason, still in verse 25, for we are all members of one body. We're members of one body. So he's especially talking here about church relationships. We're together in this thing. We're like arms and legs on one body. So you see, lying happens when you become adversarial in your relationships. When you think you and your spouse are against each other, then you start lying. 
you think you and your boss are against each other, you and your parents are against each other. If you get the concept of team, it's the foundation for not lying. First thing, put off falsehood instead speak the truth. Number two, second thing you can do to improve your relationships, don't let your anger become sin. Instead, deal with it daily. Don't let your anger become sin. Instead, deal with it daily. Verse 26, in your anger, do not sin. So not all anger is sinful. Jesus, the Bible says, never sinned. And yet the Bible says in Mark 3, 5 is one occasion where it says Jesus was angry. He was going to heal a man on the Sabbath. And he said, do you think it's good, the Sabbath's for doing good? And they wouldn't answer him. And he said, Jesus became angry. So all anger is not sinful. There's righteous anger. There's good anger. But anger, by its nature, crosses into sin very easily. Are you always angry in your relationships? Would you sort of let the Holy Spirit look at your life here? Are you always angry with your spouse? Always angry at work with your coworkers? Always angry with your employees? Always angry with your friends? Does anger sort of characterize your relationships? It does for some people. It's just the, it's the predominant way they relate. And he says, don't let your anger become sin. Instead, deal with it daily. The last part of the verse says, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. One of the dangers of anger is that it builds up, is when it lingers. And so every day, every night before you go to bed, you pray and you confess that. I don't believe that it means you can resolve all issues in one day. There are going to be issues that continue, but you can let go of that anger every day. You can release it to God in your prayers. You can give revenge over to Him. You can trust your situation to Him. So don't let the sun go down before you've dealt in some way with your anger because it's dangerous in your life. Why? Here's the reason. Don't give the devil an opening. It says in verse 27, the reason for this, and do not give the devil a foothold. It's literally the word place or translated opportunity or translated opening. You see, the devil is looking for an opening in your life and uh, in your Christian armor. And anger is one of those spots where he can get at you. And so if you let your anger linger or get out of control, then it becomes an opportunity for the devil to begin to, to work. The devil, one of his titles in scripture is destroyer. So he wants to destroy everything, including your relationships. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy your work relationships, your friendships, your church relationships. He wants to separate in any way he can. And so one of the tactics he will use is when you let anger get out of control and he gets a foothold or an opening or an opportunity, there's a danger to anger there. Is, do you need to change your anger in your relationships? Number three, third thing you can do in any of your relationships to improve them is do not steal, instead work. Look at verse uh, 28. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands. A work ethic will improve our relationships. 
A work ethic will improve your relationship with your parents, kids. It will. A work ethic will improve your marriage, guys. It will. A work ethic will improve work. That makes sense, doesn't it? It'll improve work re relationships. <clears throat> and our country is losing some of its work ethic and gaining instead an entitlement ethic where we are owed things and the government ought to provide everything and that's destroying relationships on a lot of areas and the Bible is so practical and it says to us you want to help your relationships you got all these fancy theories why don't you just work some that's going to help your relationships don't steal the reason for that is last part of verse 28 that they may have something to share with those in need when you work, you see, stealing, laziness is stealing. You're stealing time. You're stealing. But when you work, it is not just for you to accumulate, but to the Christian ethic is to be generous to be able to share. <coughs> Excuse me. Number four. Here's the fourth thing you can do to improve your relationships. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Instead, speak words that build others up. Verse 29, do not let any unwholesome, the word means rotten, it's translated one time in the Bible about rotten fish, don't let any bad language, any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. So it's like it's going to try to get out and you're not going to let it come out of your mouth, right? You're going to put a guard or a filter over your mouth, over your language, now, it's not enough just not to say bad stuff. Some of you say, I don't, I don't cuss at my wife, don't cuss at my parents, don't cuss at work, I'm doing great. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your life, mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that they, it may benefit those who listen. So it's not just a matter of not saying bad things, but is there anything positive in your speech? Is your interaction at work, always critical, always negative, only when there's a problem? Is your interaction with your spouse always negative, always critical, always when there's a problem? Is your, is your language to your kids always corrective, always negative, always where they did not measure up? Then the Bible here is speaking a very practical word to us. Is there anything positive in your speech toward the people in your relationships? Are you in any way building them up, encouraging? Is there balance in your interaction? How do you talk to the people that you live with and work with and are friends with? Is there anything positive there? Why is this important? It tells us in verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So the, the theological motive to change the way you talk is because if you are a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives in your body. If you're with us in Romans, you know we went through this. When you become a Christian, that is when you pray, and ask Jesus to come into your life and repent of your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ, then the Spirit causes you to be born again. You get new desires, a new heart. 
and he comes to live in your life. You may not feel different, but he is there. And he takes up residence in your life. And I don't think he's ever going anywhere. It says, with him you are sealed until the day of redemption. He's going to stay till you die or Jesus comes back again. He sealed you. He's got you. That's an encouraging thing, right? But he's the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit lives in you. And we learned last week from Romans that his role is to sanctify you. You don't have to do all this stuff by yourself. You say, man, we're just on number four and I'm already overwhelmed by this. I, gotta, I, I need to change a lot of stuff here. And, and the good news is it's not your job alone. The Holy Spirit lives in you and he's, you're a fixer-upper. He's going to fix you up. He sanctifies. He makes you holy. Now what we want to do is cooperate with him. And so what this passage says is, if you don't cooperate with him, especially in the area of speech, you see in the Bible the Holy Spirit is connected with speech a lot. The confession, Jesus is Lord, First John says, can only be made by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit causes true speech. And so when there is unwholesome speech or always critical negative speech, it says it grieves the Holy Spirit who lives within you. That tells me he's a person, right? He's not just some force, some mystical, magical cloud he's a person he's the third person of the trinity and this person lives in you and he has feelings and you make you pain him you grieve him you make him sorrowful when your speech is not what it should be have you ever been with somebody who was your friend or something and they said something in a gathering and it, you sort of ooh cringed ooh I wish they hadn't. Or, let me tell you this. Have you ever had a candidate who was running for president and your candidate said something that you liked this person, you were on their side, but it made you cringe what they, what they said? Oh, I wish he hadn't have said that. I love him. I wish he hadn't have said that. You get just a tiny bit of how the Holy Spirit might feel within you. Because he's Holy Spirit. And he's in you. And he's for you. He's, he's on your team. He's with you. But does he ever cringe at some of the things that come out of the mouth that encapsulates him? Don't grieve the Holy Spirit and you're working against him if unwholesome talk comes out of your mouth or only negative things come from you. Here's the fifth thing you can do to improve your relationships. It's a long list, so stick with me. We're going to go through these words one by one. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, Shouting, I'm going to translate it, abusive speech and malice. Go through those one by one with you. Here's a list that Paul says you're going to need to get rid of if you want to improve your relationships. First of all, get rid of bitterness. Now, the first three words on this list all relate to anger. And bitterness is what I would call crockpot anger. It's the slow simmer of anger. You know what a crock pot is and you leave it on too long? You know that crust that gets on there that you've got to scrape out of that because you let it go too long? It's that slow bitterness that just simmers. Anger and resentment. Resentment is another good translation for this word bitterness. Resentment. Some things have happened in your marriage and you resent the past. And you're, you're carrying that past in the crock pot and you just keep, keep it on a slow simmer. Things have happened in a friendship. Things have happened at church. And you're not as active in church as you used to be because there's some bitterness of some things that people said or did. And you've got to this word says, get rid of that. 
because it's going to destroy those relationships. Bitterness doesn't affect the other person that you're bitter at so much because a lot of times they don't even know you're bitter. You know who it hurts? It hurts you because you're just rolling it around and rehearsing it and replaying it day after day, that offense, that insult, and that bitterness sours your attitude toward that person get rid of all bitterness the second word is rage if bitterness is crockpot anger rage is volcano anger rage means an outburst some of you say well, I just let it all out because I just got to get it out that's the way to deal with it well that's not really what the Bible says the Bible says I feel better when I blow up I just let off some steam feel better well the Bible says get rid of rage that volcano anger you're to get rid of it in your life. And then the third word is anger. The fourth word then is translated brawling in the NIV. But I think of fist fighting, and, and that, that'd be good to get rid of too if you're doing that. But that's not really what this word means. It's translated other places in the New Testament as shouting or screaming. What this word means is shout. I translate shouting. Get rid of shouting. Is there shouting or screaming in your relationships? Even if it's not <laughs> do you type all caps online you know or you know what, what I mean you know is there is there shouting or screaming there get rid of that and the the fourth word I translate abusive speech it's slander in the NIV it's the Greek word blasphema which blasphemia which it means blasphemy when it's toward God if you do this toward God it's blasphemy if you do it toward another person it's slander or abusive speech I think it's the best translation that some other translations follow. Uh, is there any abusive speech in your relationships? Get rid of that. And then finally is sort of a catch-all category with every form of malice or ill will. So I want you to think about this list and just look at it for a moment. Does any of this characterize any of your relationships? And uh, especially, does it characterize any of your relationships toward political enemies? Y you know, we, we're just such a divided nation, and, and we're so uh, at one another. And in your posts online, maybe you just need somebody to, to help review with you. Maybe you need your spouse to read this verse with you and say, Honey, is there any bitterness, rage, anger, shouting, abusive speech, or malice in any of my posts that I've put online? Because the Bible says to get rid of these things. Now you can have strongly held opinions and you can speak the truth, but the Bible says those kind of things are not to characterize us. And if they do, then you need to repent. You need to change and God can help you to, to change that. Instead, here's the positive. It's not just a negative, it's a positive. Instead, verse 32 be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. So here's three words that are, to, that are positive that are to characterize your relationships. Be kind. You can be kind. You can hold the truth firmly and be kind. Jesus never compromised the truth, did he? But Jesus was kind. Be kind and be compassionate or tenderhearted and being forgiving. Here's one of the greatest qualities you need in a marriage, in a friendship, in a church relationship, is to forgive. People are going to insult you, people are going to offend you, people are going to hurt you, some intentionally, some in unintentionally. What's your response there? 
Let me explain forgiveness to you biblically real quickly because I don't think some of us understand it. Forgiveness doesn't mean what they did to you is okay. Some of you have been hurt deeply by somebody. Forgiveness doesn't mean it didn't matter or it's okay. I forget. No, it could be very wrong. Forgiveness does not mean that you don't, that uh, you forget it. Some people say, forgive and forget. Man, if you have abusive speech toward you, do you forget that right away? No, forgiveness does not mean forgetting. Forgiveness, uh, here's what forgiveness means. Forgiveness means I stop replaying it over and over. I stop talking about it. I won't keep bringing up in my marriage those past failures that I have forgiven. And I won't try to get back at you for it. I won't take revenge or seek to get even. That's what forgiveness means. You still may have the feelings. You're not going to forget. You're still hurt. You've been wrong. Forgiveness doesn't mean that I trust right away. If I go out in the hall and you hit me, and next Sunday you hit me again, the third Sunday, even if I've forgiven you, I'm, I'm moving. I'm, I'm dodging, you know? Forgiveness does not mean you trust even your spouse automatically when they've hurt you. It does not mean that you forget or that you trust or that, uh, or that you don't feel. But it does mean I release retribution to God who says vengeance is mine. I'm not going to go back at you as you've gone to me. It means I'm going to stop talking about it and I'm going to stop replaying it, reliving it over and over because that leads to that crockpot bitterness. That's what you got to do. Now, the question's going to be, how are you going to respond when somebody does verse 31 uh, to you, are you going to do verse 32 to them? You see, I, I can be pretty kind to people who are kind to me, can't you? But what about, can you do verse 32 in your relationships when somebody is bitter and shouting and abusive and ill will towards you. That's the test of being different. That's where we need God's help that is so hard. Why would we do that? Here's the reason. The last part of verse 32. Just as in Christ God forgave you. I will never be called upon to forgive anything. Anywhere near as great. As what God has forgiven of me. And when you get hold of the fact that you are a great sinner and you have been greatly forgiven, then you will be enabled to begin to extend forgiveness to others. So those people who have hurt you in person, online, in church, in your marriage, can you realize that's not right? They shouldn't say that. They shouldn't have done that. I don't agree with that, but I'll not hold that bitterness. I won't talk about it. I won't get revenge because God has forgiven me far greater. So, has the Holy Spirit said anything to you today about your relationships, about, your, about truth, about anger, about work, about language, or about this list of qualities? Let me say it one more time. You can't do it by yourself. You try to do this list on your own, you'll fail. It's only with Jesus that we can change, but with Jesus. You may feel I've done a bunch of this stuff. Man, I'm in bad shape. There's good news. 
Jesus can change the attitude of your mind. He can strip off as baptism depicts that old self and put on a new self and give you a new start. Would you pray together with me? Oh, Father, as we're seeking this month to really look at change in our lives, I pray that today you have spoken to us through your word and by your spirit about some area of our relationships. It'll probably be different for every person here. And God, if you've spoken to us in any way, then right now we want to confess our sin and turn from it. And we want to ask you to help to fill us by the power of your spirit with these positive qualities that will not only honor you, but will improve our relationships. I pray for marriages. I pray for kids and parents. I pray for friendships. I pray for church relationships. I pray for those with our enemies. Oh God, I pray that you would help us to reflect the forgiveness and the life that you have given to us. If there's a person here today who wants to take hold of that for the first time, I pray right now that they would cry out to you and say, Jesus, forgive me my sin. I put my faith in you. I'll be baptized. I'll follow you. Be my Lord and Savior. I pray right now they'll pray that and be changed. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. You prayed that prayer with me right then to receive Christ. Please come by and tell me about it. I'll be at the Welcome Center right after this service. Make your way up the ramp this way. Uh, I'd love to hear about that. We'll set up a time for you to be baptized. You're ready to be baptized. Also, if uh, you're a Christian but you want to join our church, right now the way you do that, one way you do that is just stop by after a service. We'd welcome you into our church either by statement of your faith in baptism or planning for your baptism. So you can come and do that today. Thank you for being here. Being with us. Will you stand with us and let's close out with this song, Build Your Life Upon Me, Lord. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. We live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever say.
here's the information for all the deadlines. And so if you've got any questions, please come and talk to me about the middle school or high school camps and to Megan about the kids' camp, right? Let me close this out in prayer. Father God, we thank you uh, that you put your Holy Spirit in us uh, to guide us. And Lord, to help us in our relationships, to help us change the behaviors uh, that just don't conform to your likeness, Father. And so we thank you that uh, you don't leave us the way we're at, but Lord, you transform us, you conform our minds and our hearts uh, to be the Christ followers that you've called us to be. And so we just say thank you for that. Lord, we don't deserve it, but you're good to us. Uh, thank you for your love. Help us to reflect that love to the people around us this week. It's in your son's name we pray.